0: name. Amen. Well, good morning again. Now, Kayla might be just at the onset. We're knee-deep in it. (laughs) I want to begin by uh, offering thanks to to all those people um, that have worked so hard so far on this Christmas season. Last week, we had a whole bunch of people Taking down the stuff that was here, taking down the stuff that was out there, and then putting this all back up. Didn't they do a great job? And then we built, we built, built the float for the parade. We were in the parade yesterday. I think I have a picture of us, the, the parade team. Picture of the parade team. There, <laughs> look at that. So that was good. There were a lot of good floats in the parade yesterday, and lots and lots of people. So that was pretty good. And we gave out hundreds of candy canes with invitations on them. So it was good. It was great to be there. And it's just beginning. Today we have the toy run. That's so why I'm dressed, you know, the you only know pair of jeans I got, and I forgot to put them even in the wash. <laughs> so I'm up here on the dirty jean pastor. But today is a toy run so you'll probably start to hear as the, as the service ends you'll start hearing motorbikes coming in and uh, you know we get typically 60, 80, maybe 100 motorbikes here and uh, you'll hear that that noise 2 o'clock then they all take off and go on the run. A couple of ways that you can be in this, over in the youth building we've got a silent auction, this is all to raise money and toys for, for families that are in need for Christmas So you can make a donation. You can go online and make a donation. You can buy a toy. The toy run is today, but that doesn't mean it's limited to today. Christmas is still three weeks away, so we have a room set up. And I'll tell you what, it really is heartwarming. Kelly Biggs kind of oversees this side of it. And uh, to see families come in, and she gives them a great big trash bag, and we have all the toys set out and everything set out like a toy store. Uh, and they come in and they pick stuff and, and put it in the bag and then they leave with a bag of toys and it's, it's neat. And sometimes they have got the kids with them, oh, can I, can I have one of those? And somebody showed up yesterday with six bikes, which are over in the youth building. They're, they're all brand new bikes, yeah. So it's pretty cool. So you can be a part of that. You can donate online, but be a part of it. Just come and hang out for a bit. I know bikers are a little bit different than, than maybe you're used to, but they're people I, I, I prodded one the other day, and they are. They're people. They're, they're just like us. So, yeah, don't prod. <laughs> don't touch the bike, don't touch the bike. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then we've got uh, Living Nativity next weekend. Now, there's a clipboard here somewhere. I don't know if it started going. If you signed up last week, just let it pass, but we're going to start that going around. When it gets to the end of the aisle, if you can just pass it to the next person... So that it goes all the way around. So Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all we want is for people to walk along with the float. We're going to through, through the streets here. We're going to give out those candy canes and sing some Christmas carols and, and bring the light of Christmas to the streets of the colony. Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? Bringing the light of Christmas to the people. Jesus told us to go, so we're going to go. So a lot of stuff going on. Christmas Eve service, December 26th. Oh, well, we've got our children's program, two weeks' time. Two weeks today, they're going to do the whole thing. Here's how you can be a part of this. Invite people. Kids are cute. They're much cuter than I am. People will come to see kids, you know, so, so invite people. And then uh, we have our candlelight service on the 24th, and then Christmas this year is on December 26th. We'll have a special Christmas service. So we got a lot going on. Christmas is here. This morning, we celebrate The second week of Advent. So now, who are my candle lighters here today? Come on up, boys. You got your scriptures? Do you have your scriptures? You do need those. You don't have your scriptures. All right, go down there and get ready to light the candles. I'll read the scriptures. (laughs) So last week, the first week of Advent was hope. So, if you look on the front of the candles, you'll see something's written on them. That first one is hope. Which one is love? All right, so who's lighting the first candle? Okay, grab the thing there, whatever that's called. The lighter? This is the lighter. I need to stick that out a little bit more. There you go. This is rather impromptu, so we had no idea we were doing this. Oh, you didn't? Okay, if you want to light the hope candle, please. Last week we talked about, hope. You know, we remember that Jesus is coming. That's what Christmas is all about, or Jesus has been. But Jesus is coming. There's going to be a second coming. The King is coming, and that is our hope. Today, we're going to light the love candle. Just a second, I've got a couple of verses for you here. 1 John 4.10, this is real love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And the second one, so the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Thank you, boys. Appreciate it. And each week we'll light an additional candle and the light gets brighter and brighter as we approach Christmas. And then at our Christmas Eve candlelight service, we will light the final candle in the middle of the Christ candle. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are over all things. And Father, we give you thanks that you stepped out of eternity. You stepped out of heaven paradise. We can't really get our heads around what it means. You stepped out of eternity and into our reality here on earth. You became a baby, and you lived amongst us. It just is bewildering. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you never left us, that your Holy Spirit is here with us today. Father, open us up to what you would have us here today, in Jesus' name, amen. So love. Oh, now, if you didn't get an a, um, outline, anybody need an outline? Over here. Where's our outline, people? In the foyer? <laughs> Go get your own outline. <laughs> anybody else need one? Let's make them run. Thank you, sir. Right there. Anybody else? They're online if you need one for, for those that are watching online. Love. Love is a mystery. Scientists have no empirical evidence as to why we love. They, they've tried to explain it. You know, what is love? Like, why do we love? Why do, why do we care? They've got some ideas, but it, it's sort of a mystery. But not only is love a mystery, it's kind of scary sometimes. I remember when I first fell in love with my wife. It's about two years ago now. (laughs) When I first fell in love with my wife, back in 1976. And um, Sandra was just 16. And I was 20, coming up for 21. I stole from the cradle, as they say. And you know you're, you're you're going out with each other, and and feelings start to change, and you something's going on, and you know about two three months in, it's like I love this girl, and I told this girl I loved her, and she didn't tell me that she loved me, <laughs> and and I remember being scared, you know, I was I was scared because. You've put it out there. You've got these emotions, right? You've made yourself vulnerable. And she's, she's 16. She might change her mind next week. Uh, and it was kind of scary. But love grows. Romantic love grows. And, and here we are 40-something years later, whatever it is. And we're still in love. And that's, and that's good. I remember when, we were, uh, when our son came along. We adopted our, our first child. And uh, I was scared then, too. You know, never been a dad. That's kind of scary. Kind of, I don't know if, if women feel that, that kind of apprehension when you, when you have a baby. But I was very scared. And we adopted James. And in Canada, there's this, this rule that in the first six months of an adoption, if the birth mother changes her mind, she can have the child back. So, you know, I was kind of scared. I wanted to love him. But at the same time, you, you don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want to put yourself out there. What, what if she changes her mind? And, but you can't help yourself. You start loving. It just happens. And then I remember when Sandra got pregnant with, with Amy, our first girl. And uh, I was so scared again. I, I don't like make life easy because I loved James so much. I was so scared because I thought, what if I can't love Amy as much as I love James. you know maybe, you know, can you love that much more? And I was really scared for how my relationship with my daughter would be. But when Amy came along, you know, God gives you this ability, this capacity, your love just expands. It's like, wow, you know, and I loved her. And then when she got pregnant with Rachel, I was ready then. I mean, I remember the first night Rachel came home, she slept with me right here all night. And, I was confident and calm and like, this is love, this is awesome. But that's kind of scary, isn't it? You know, you're not supposed to sleep with a baby on your belly because what if you roll over and and a baby is is probably the most fragile thing on all the planet, the most vulnerable thing on all the planet. You know, I was thinking about that. Why would God choose to come as a baby? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Why would God choose to come as a baby? Why didn't he just show up? You know, Jesus didn't begin his ministry until he was about 30. Why didn't, why didn't he just show up at age 30? People are talking about the healer. Hey, the miracle guy's coming. We don't know where he came from. Just showed up. I mean, that would have been pretty cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's got to be God. Where else could he come from? Or if he came with lightning and thunder and an earthquake, it's like, wow, God. But showing up as a baby, it, it caused problems for Jesus because there were times in the Bible when, you know, people are looking at Jesus and, hang on a minute, isn't that Mary and Joe's boy? The builder's boy? Messiah? What's going on? The, the credibility wasn't there. Just show up at age 32. You know, back in the day, I was doing a little bit of research in Judea, in, in Jesus' day, the infant mortality rate... Was about 30%. So just think about that for a second. That means 300 of every thousand children don't make it to their first birthday. So if you've got a family of three, one of them's going to die. That was the statistics. And Jesus came as a baby. You know, these days in Texas, I looked that up. What is it? it it's one. Less than six per thousand. One of the rate of Jesus' day. Why did God choose to come as a baby? It, it's so risky, so weird. And a baby in Bethlehem. It's not in the king's palace. Born to a builder. He wasn't a carpenter, by the way. just I know I keep harping on this every year. He wasn't a carpenter. I just need to let you know. I have a bricklaying background. Jesus was a mason. They put carpenter in there, but the Greek word means builder. All of Jesus' examples were about stone and masonry. Jesus was a bricklayer. (laughs) But yeah, he comes. He lives in Bethlehem. He's the builder's boy. To an unwed mother, it just... (sighs) Here they come trouble. (laughs) What was that verse we read? So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the father, one, the father is one and only full of unfailing love. Wouldn't it be great to be filled with unfailing love? Wouldn't it be great for those that you love to be filled with unfailing love? Or to have people love you with an unfailing love. To have such a capacity to love that even the most unlikable person that you know, the person that, that is most detestable to you, the one, the one that's maybe hurt you the most, the one who detests you the most, abuses you the most, that you could love them with an unfailing love. Think about that. A love that cannot fail. It's a reminder, toy run today. How would you like to have that kind of love? That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah? You're kind of indifferent to unfailing love. Would you like to have unfailing love? Yes, good. I'm glad for all of us that the Lord has unfailing love. You know, this is a difficult concept. Now just think about this. That means that his love for you is the same as his love for Hitler or Osama Bin Laden or Jeffrey Epstein or Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Kim Jong-un, whatever his name is, Vladimir Putin, the young 15-year-old guy that shot people in Michigan this week, and Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, Peter Paul, Mary... All the same, the same unfailing love for all. That's, that's a mystery, isn't it? That's, that's kind of hard to get your head around. So let me ask you a question. When it comes to you and the Lord's love for you, if you had to grade your lovability, how lovable you are, not how much you love, from completely unlovable to absolutely lovable, in relation to God, where, where would you put yourself? Now let me make this a little more difficult. Do you ever do things that would make you less lovable to God? Now in light of those things, where, where, where would you put yourself? Do you ever do things that would make you more lovable to God? You know, I was thinking about this for myself. For, for myself, And I think it's interesting because when you consider a question like that, how lovable am I in God's eyes, I don't see myself as unlovable. You know, we reserve that for evil people. I'm not that bad. I'm not evil. Nobody sees themselves as evil, I don't think. At the same time, I feel to see myself as completely lovable is somewhat arrogant and proud, and therefore, if I put myself in the category of of completely lovable, because I did that, that makes me a little less lovable. So, you you get into this thing. Um, So, you know, I I think we kind of look at how we feel God sees our behavior as to how we would grade ourselves on how lovable we are to God. Now, let me explain why this is important. John chapter 13. You all know this scripture. Jesus gives a new command to his disciples. So let me set the scene. This is, this is literally hours away from Jesus being arrested and crucified just the next day. And the atmosphere is very, very tense. In fact, shortly after this conversation, Jesus goes up on a hill and he sweats blood. I mean, that's how tense this is right now. And he's called his disciples around him and he's telling them, I'm about to leave you all. I'm going away and you cannot come where I am going. So they're naturally distressed. They've been with him for three years. They've been following. They've given up everything to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is sitting with them saying, I'm leaving you. Can you imagine that? That's kind of like, well, no, that was their response. No. And Jesus says this incredible thing. He says, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's incredible. Now just think about this. Your love for one another, not your good behavior, not your service, not your sacrifice, not your tithe, not the fact that you'd be willing to change dirty diapers in church or walk along at the parade or Join us for living nativity. All those things are good. It's not about your tithe. They're they're all good. But that's not how you are recognized as a follower of Jesus Christ. You are recognized as a follower of Jesus Christ because of your love for one another. That's the check mark. Do you love one another? A new command I give you. He qualified this. Because we have been told many times in the Bible, you love one another, that wasn't new. That's not new. The new command was the manner in which we are to love. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. How has Jesus loved us? Unfailing love. We read it just now. I asked you a question, would you like to have unfailing love? Well, Jesus comes along and says, If you're my follower, and you're going to follow me, you have to love each other the way I love you, and I love you with unfailing love. Therefore, love one another with unfailing love. Now that's a high calling, isn't it? That's a bit of a, you know, that sets the bar just a wee bit too high for me. Because my love's not unfailing, I'd love it to be unfailing, but it isn't. And and this is part of the mystery, that, that Christ would command us, mere humans, to love. Agape, you mentioned agape. Agape love is incredible. Let me just explain real quickly. There are four main words for love in Greek. So this is what love is in Greek. Eros, which is passionate love. That's the love between a husband and a wife. You all know what I'm talking about. There is philia, which is where we get the word Philadelphia from. It's brotherly love. It's platonic love. It's, it's the love that friends have. It's the love that we share here. Then there is storge, which is relational love. That's parents, children, a little bit closer than, than just friends, but it's a different kind of love. And then there is agape. This is the deep, unconditional love that God has for us. It's a sacrificial love. This is the kind of love that Jesus is talking about when he gives this command. Well, how do we learn to love in this manner? You've got to get in love circle. You've got to get in the circle. There's a direct link. There, there, there's a link. This is scientifically shown, and it's in the Bible. A link between how lovable we perceive ourselves to be and our ability to love others. If you see yourself as not really lovable, you're going to have difficulty sharing love with others. If you see yourself, if if you're way up there, man, you know, it's not that it's a pride thing, but I know God loves me, man. You know, and you feel good about yourself, you have a greater capacity to pass that love on to others. These things are related. 1 John 4.19 says, We love each other because he first loved us. Because we are loved... We are able to love. And love is at the core of existence. So you remember the greatest command. When Jesus, somebody came to Jesus, they said, what's the greatest command, Jesus? And he gave them two. Matthew 26. Teacher, which is the most important command in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your being. Love God. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. So you've got one and two, but it's not one and two. It's one and two. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So this is the circle of God: love. Love God with all your being. Well, what does it mean to love God with all your being? Well, he tells us, First John 5, 3. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. You want to love God? Obey God. 2 John 1.6 Love means doing what God has commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another. Just as you heard from the beginning. So you see how this kind of goes around? You show love to God by loving one another. You show love to others by loving yourself. As you love yourself. We love others... As we love ourselves, you show love to yourself by accepting God's love. And so around and around it go. We have this this cycle, this circle of love. The more you can get your head around this, the better your life is going to be. Did you know that God actually likes you? It's funny, isn't it? Like and love. It's actually easier to think of God loving me than it is to think of God liking me. Weirdly, I can be unlikable and still loved, but God actually likes you. Isn't that amazing? In your worst moment in life and God likes you. He created you, he made you. He knew everything that you were going to do before you did, before you were born. And God already made the decision before you were born that he's going to like you. The better you feel about you and begin to like you, the more, the nicer you become. The more lovable you become. And the greater your ability to love. Because you feel good on the inside. And on it goes. The the problem begins. The problem is that this is hard because it begins at a place where we don't want it to begin. We feel a little guilty and maybe selfish if we get real with this. Because it begins with us. It begins with me. It it seems so much more Christian to say, no, it begins with God. And it does, because love comes from God. But unless you receive love, unless you accept God's love, you cannot love. So it begins with me and how I feel about God and my relationship with God and God's love for me. He loves me unconditionally. Am I going to accept his love? As soon as I open myself up to accepting God's full love, then I start to feel good. Now I've got love inside of me and I can love others as I love myself. But it doesn't feel comfortable to start with us. But here's the good news. God is in the love business. This is what he does. He is love. And the more we accept God's love, the more love we have to give. Now, I want you to give yourselves a gift this Advent season. Okay, here's my challenge for you. I want you to open yourself up to God's love like you never have before. I want you to start thinking every day when you get up in the morning, God likes me. It will change how you live your day. When you start with God likes me, you think differently about God. You think differently about your day. You think differently about your behavior. It will drive your behavior. God likes me. Wow. Now follow me on this one. If we love God by loving others, which is what the scripture says, then it's intuitive that we receive God's love through others. This is how it works. To truly open ourselves up to the love of others and, and ultimately open ourselves up to God means that we become vulnerable. We talked about this at Kairos a couple of weeks ago. True love is scary. We think of vulnerability as a weakness, don't we? You know, the enemy looks for your vulnerable points. They're going to get in there. But when we wrap our vulnerability with love, it becomes a strength because real love's not guarded real love is not masked real love is open real love is honest real love risks pain and hurt you know i heard a wonderful testimony recently a man a man shared how he had messed up his life total train wreck through one selfish choice after another and it was a mess Messed up his marriage. Messed up everything. Messed up the lives of those around him. Ended up in prison. Tried numerous times to change. Couldn't really ever bring the change about. Always went back to his old ways. To make a long story short, he had a daughter. The last time he saw her, she was four years old. And he decided to make contact with her. She's a teenager now. Hasn't had contact with his daughter since she was four. And through a long series of events, he eventually makes contact with her. Can you imagine all of the feelings that he's struggling with? I mean, that's making yourself vulnerable. You know, what is she going to think? What is she going to say that I abandoned her, that I didn't love her, that I messed up her life? You know, what is she going to say? You're a real screw-up. You hurt me. But he decided to open himself up and risk hurt and pain. And when he met his daughter for the first time in who knows how many years, she said, Dad, I only have one memory of you. It's of you holding me so tight and loving me. He said, in that moment, I was changed. All of that change that I had tried to bring about over the years and I couldn't change, in that moment, I was changed. His heart was melted. He knew love. And suddenly, he had the capacity to love. Love will do that to you. It will melt your heart and change you but you've got to open yourself up to it. So I've got one last passage of Scripture for you this morning. It's from Paul's letter to his followers in Ephesus. And and he tells them, he says, because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So think about that for a minute. God is love. So because of Christ and our love and our faith in Christ, we can boldly come into the presence of love. Confidently. And he carries on, and in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14, he says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven on, and on earth. I can just feel his passion. Like, when I think about this, is immense that I can be in the presence of love, that you can be in the presence of love. It drives me to my knees. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength, Through his spirit. Then Christ. Will make his home in your hearts. As you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love. And keep you strong. And may you have all the power to understand. As all God's people should. How wide. How long. How high. And how deep his love is. He's saying can you get your head around. The massiveness of God's love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. It's a mystery. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, there's so much in that scripture this morning. I decided I'm just going to leave it with you. I put it in in your handout. And what I want you to do, I want you to go away and meditate on that. This week, I want you to go through this passage. I took out the verses, so it just flows as a paragraph, which is how it was written. And I have a question for you, and it's right there. What can you do this Advent season to open yourself up to love? I want you to read that scripture through, pray through that scripture, ask God to speak to you in that scripture, and then ask yourself this question. What can I do this Advent season to open myself up to love? It might be how you demonstrate love to someone. It could be like that guy that that contacts his daughter after all these years. He's messed up his life and he takes a chance. You don't know how that's going to go. What can you do? This Christmas, open yourself up to love. In whatever manner Christ might choose to show you love. Trust Christ with all your hearts. Make yourself vulnerable. You know, let me close with this. It might seem counterintuitive in this day and age. When when we are taught to be strong, right? We admire strength in this day and age. And it may seem counterintuitive to make yourself vulnerable. But it's counterintuitive that God would come as a baby. Why would God come as a baby? Because a baby is the most vulnerable thing on the planet. And God is love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for your love. Father, I've offered up a challenge here this morning. It's a challenge to me too. And I'm sure there are a lot of people sitting in this room right now and they're very comfortable with their love and the loves in their lives. And when I ask this question, what can you do this Advent season to open yourself up to love? There might not be anything that quickly comes to mind because... They're confident in their love. And Father, I'm sure there are other people in this room that struggle with this question. Father, would you open us up to your love in a brand new way this Advent season? Take away our guardedness, our need to protect ourselves. Open us up so that we can love fully and completely, that we can risk being hurt and be the person that you've called us to be and trust that you will protect us in the process of love. And Father, if it doesn't go well, to trust that you will be our strength in a moment of hurt. Show us how to love completely and fully. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Hey. Will you note it? Note it? Yeah. Right. Just want that, want that on the record right here. Oh, I've got one little quote. I forgot to tell you. <laughs> take up the next couple of minutes. I love this quote from Max Lucado. So be loved and then love. Starts with be loved and then love. Just as hurt people hurt people, loved people love people. So let God love you. This is how happiness happens. Amen? Amen. All right. Announcements. We kind of did the announcements. Please be faithful with your offering. Where is the offering? Oh, is that basket there? (laughs) Lynn's pocket. Please be faithful with your offering. You heard some of the bikes starting to arrive, so take some time, head on, head on over to the youth building and uh, hang out for a little bit. We're going to be hanging out till about six, seven o'clock tonight, so it's, it's going to be fun. Please stand. And then, did the clipboard get all the way around? If you didn't get a chance, where's the clipboard? Over where? Did it get down that way? Own up. Okay, can we keep passing it on? We'll we'll just stand here till it's done. Thank you. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks again just for your love. We thank you for your blessings. And Father, I pray as we go from here that we would take all the rich blessings that you have given us, that we would begin to realize how wide, how deep How far your love stretches. And that we would take some of that love and we would deposit it to each and every person that you bring into our path. Whether there's someone we like, whether there's someone we understand, whether there's someone we agree with, or we don't like and we don't understand and we don't agree with them. Let your love flow from us as it flows into us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you all for coming. First Monday prayer tomorrow. I put it up there and I forgot to say it. 7 o'clock here. First Monday prayer. And men's breakfast next Saturday.